Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. If you've got a Bible, you can, uh, you can open to Acts chapter 3. We're continuing our message series. Uh, against the grain, we're going to talk about. Uh, we're talking about how they kind of were going against the grain in the early church, working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, <clears throat> do I sound okay out there? I sound like I can I barely hear myself. Am I all right? Am I good? I'm good. I'm good. You know, whatever. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <clears throat> I was out of town this week. Thank you for keeping me and my family in prayer. I was at a the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta, uh, which was long days basically. <clears throat> Today I'm going to talk to you uh, the. Title of my message is The Revivalist Sermon Outline. The Revivalist Sermon Outline. <clears throat> you know, God has promised us that His uh, Spirit will continue to move in our midst and it will never end. He has promised us that it will increase, that His presence will increase, that His manifestation will increase, that, uh, that this movement that He's birthing right here in Boca Raton is going to spread, right? And uh, I believe that. How about you? Amen? I believe it because he spoke it. I see it with my eyes. I don't doubt it at all. <clears throat> uh, I believe that our, uh, the burning room is only going to grow. Um, yeah. We're now praying into uh, transitioning from um, <clears throat> roughly two and a half hours to six hours on Friday nights. Uh, if you feel called to that ministry, uh, let uh, Corey know. Fill out a connection card. We're looking for folks who can just steward this time. You don't have to preach. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to play an instrument. But if you can steward the presence of God in an atmosphere, we can just soak in it. We just want to provide an atmosphere that people can experience the presence of God in this house. Amen? Amen? God is doing something here, and we're excited about it. We're excited about it, um, and uh, we don't look to those people who don't understand. We're looking to what God is doing, and we're focusing on what God is doing. And uh, since God has promised this to us, we know it's going to pass. We know it's going to come to pass. We know it's um, continuing to increase. We're seeing the anointing on people's lives increase. We're getting uh, testimonies all the time of people operating gifts and signs and wonders more than ever. We're seeing it places uh, that the, beyond the church, which is what's really good. But, you know, when, 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 when uh, the world finds out about the anointing on your life, when the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the crowds begin to come and hear what God is doing in your life, uh, you better know what to do. You better know what to do once people see the anointing that's been building on the inside of you. You better know what to do when people hear that prophetic song that you got just in your intimate time of prayer and it begins to circle the globe. You better know what to do with that fame. When God gives you a divine appointment and you just think you're just serving the Lord and you lay hands on somebody and they get healed and they have influence, you better know what to do once the world starts looking and asking you what happened. You better know what to do with it. You can't spend all your time looking for favor. You better know what to do with the favor when God puts it on your life. Or it's possible, I would submit to you, that the reason the favor has not manifest because you've not learned what to do with favor yet. Hear me. We can't just wait until it happens to figure out what to do with it. God does not want to waste his favor like that. God is looking for stewards of his presence, stewards of his grace, stewards of his anointing. He's looking for people who will cherish it and know what to do with it. Amen? I, 
I submit to you that God is putting his anointing on people's lives in this day and age who will point it back to him. So let's look at the, uh, the book of Acts. If you remember, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter got up and preached. Acts chapter 3, they're going about their business, they're going to worship, they're, they're praying, but uh, they're seeing somebody get healed in the middle of nowhere. We see the apostles in this very uh, scenario that I talked about. They prayed, they waited for God to anoint them. He poured out His Spirit, He anointed them. And uh, as we learned last week, uh, the man who was by the, by the gate, uh, who was normally by the gate begging, uh, was completely healed. Miraculous presence of God came upon him. And now we see, uh, we continue the story. And we're going to start in verse 12. Acts chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> but when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this, sir? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, whom he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Verse 15, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead a fact to which we all are witnesses, 16. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Say amen to the reading of the word. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Listen, we absolutely need to experience, receive, and release the presence of God. We absolutely need to experience, receive, and release God's supernatural life. We need to share a supernatural life with the world. We're not here for better philosophy. We're not here for better life tips. We're not here because we've figured out some system to make us get all our dreams come true. What we're here for is because Jesus Christ died and rose again. He now has the keys of life and death. And that through faith in his name, supernatural life is possible. That's why we're here. It is absolutely imperative that we continue to seek this supernatural life, to experience this supernatural life, and give away this supernatural life. Amen? And so the apostles, uh, even though they hadn't figured all this out intellectually yet, they hadn't really written anything. They, they didn't have time to come together with a, a statement of faith, as it were. They were just experiencing the life of Jesus. They were just experiencing the life of Jesus and knew that this thing that I'm experiencing, I have to release. I have to give it away. I have to share it. I can't keep it to myself. I have to go about sharing the life of God with other people. And so when that began to happen, of course, they began to exalt the people who are walking in power. And the first thing I want you to see uh, as we study the scripture this morning, and if you're taking notes, go ahead and 
write this down. There is a supernatural life, but I am not the source. This is what the apostles were telling people. This is the revivalist's sermon outline. This is the first point. There is a supernatural life, but I am not the source. Let's look at verse 12 again. He says, but when Peter saw this, he replied to them, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power and piety we have made him walk? Like, you're looking at me as if, right? Like, as if I could do this, as if I was that great. I know you all want a living God here, but it's not me. I can't do this. I can't work it out on my own. It's okay to get glory from what you've done. It's not okay to keep it. It's okay for people to recognize what's going on in your life. It's not okay to keep that, that adulation, that respect, that honor. You have to know what to do with it. It's not wrong to receive it. It's wrong to keep it. We're having, a, I had no idea they were doing the, that video. There's very little that happens at this church that I don't know about. Uh, I was surprised at that video, and often my wife is in cahoots, but uh, she didn't know about it. There, there's, let, let me say this, and, it, and it, I feel awkward, and um, it's uncomfortable for me, but it's perfectly right to honor those in authority over you. There is a wellspring of life that happens when you honor those in authority over you. The Bible tells us that. It's absolutely right. It's wrong to think that you deserve it, though. I want you to see this. <clears throat> if you can, uh, here, here's the trap. If you believe in a system where you can earn God's favor, if you believe that through my efforts, I can earn the favor of God, if, if I just work hard enough, pray hard enough, fast enough, read enough Bible, if I think that I meet some natural qualification to earn God's favor, the next logical step is that I deserve God's favor. And we just slide into a self-righteous that is anti-Christ. Hear me. There are works that need to accompany our faith. But that's because we love God. I don't earn my wife's love. I respond to her love by treating her in love. My kids don't earn my love. My kids respond to my love to them by hopefully being good kids but they may or may not, and I'll still love them. I may or may not be a great dad at times. They still love me. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for love that endures? But here's what happens. And, and, and uh, I, I, was so, um, I was so convinced of this this week, I began to share it on social media. What you find is people who receive some, some supernatural, miraculous breakthrough by grace, uh, maybe they were delivered from darkness to light. Maybe they got some sort of gift of healing. Maybe they got some financial breakthrough in their life that they began to walk in, and, and, uh, and, and everybody begins to see the grace in their life, and immediately they start writing books. And they start writing books about how you can follow steps to get what they got through grace. And then we wonder why we don't ever get this thing that they got because we're not doing what they did, received by faith. Does that make sense? And so uh, in, in, in one encounter with Jesus, my life was completely transformed. It was just completely transformed. I went from darkness to light. I went from heathen to saint. I went from God mocker 
to God follower because I came into the presence of God. He revealed himself to me and I got delivered of the enemy. That is what happened in my life. Now I can use that experience to write all kinds of books on how you could experience that. But the fact is, some things you're just going to have to go to God for. Now I can make you think, I can make you think these are the steps and I can get you so close. I can get you so close. You could see it. It could be within your grasp, but you're not going to receive it because you have to actually go to God to get it. Does that make sense? And so Peter, these apostles could have easily begun a discipleship course, right? They could have decided, here's how, oh, oh, look at these. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah, I actually do have this miracle working gift. Actually, as a matter of fact, the Lord has anointed me and appointed me to be the healer of men. And if you will just begin to do these steps that I did, then all of a sudden you can do it too. I have a book. All right, what you do is you start in this room and you have to go to a room and pray for 10 days. That's not what he said, though. Because what he received by grace, he was releasing by grace. He said, look, there is a supernatural life, but I am not the source of it. Some of you need to get your eyes off your favorite preacher and get your eyes on Jesus. There's nothing more cancerous than the Christian who is a constant, constant conference hopper. There's no faith that Christ will meet you where you're at. He is not limited by your church. He's not limited by where you're at. He, he actually is the omnipresent God. He actually knows where you are, and he responds to faith, and he responds to the work of your heart. I believe in impartation, but at some point, you've had enough people lay hands on you that it's just not going to happen that way. After you've had 10, 12, 15, 20 apostles lay hands on you, and it didn't happen, guess what? It's not going to happen that way. You might actually have to be rooted somewhere. You may actually have to exercise faith in God. And we tried everything else. How about we pray, right? You know, who knows? So the first thing Peter is teaching him is, listen, there is a supernatural life, but I'm not the source. And he tells them, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Second thing I want you to see that he shares is Jesus is the source of supernatural life. I know this is complicated. Peter says, listen, there is a supernatural life, but I'm not the source. Second thing he says, Jesus is the source of supernatural life. And, and here's, what, here's what I want you to see in this. You have to live your life in a way in front of people that they want what you have. Now, what does supernatural life look like? Well, for some of us, that means that we lay hands on the sick and they recover. We give prophetic words to people. We see miracle signs and wonders in the physical sense. But that's not, that's not the only way God moves supernaturally through people. I believe that we all should prophesy. I believe that we all should be able to heal the sick. I believe that we all should be encouragers. I believe that we all should be loving. I believe that we all should be able to reach out to those who are far away from God. I believe that we all should be able to lift up the brokenhearted. And so maybe, you don't, maybe you're not an evangelist, maybe you're not a healing revivalist, but you can be an encourager. Maybe you just like to encourage people. Maybe you just like to help people out. Maybe you like to bring meals to people who you don't need a meal. Maybe, you, you're, you, maybe your ministry is, is you cut the grass of somebody in your yard you know who can't afford it. Maybe you change the oil of people on your block who you know don't, can't afford an oil change on their own. Maybe you have found another way to serve people. But we're going to live that life supernaturally in front of other people. We let folks know why we're doing it. I was, uh, I was riding yesterday, and uh, 
it was super windy out. And when you're, when you're cycling, like it, you double and triple the effort that it takes to ride in the wind. I'm not using that as hyperbole. I have a power meter. It actually takes three times the power. And uh, I don't want to exercise three times the power. I'd like it to be easy so I can go really fast and feel good about myself, right? But this is, this is making it difficult, and I'm going slow, right? I'm, going, I'm working hard, and I'm going slow. And I'm heading up uh, Yamato, and uh, right as you get to the tracks, um, kind of in east, uh, Boca, not all the east ones, the second ones, uh, near the tri-roll tracks, there's a guy pushing his BMW, uh, trying to get it over the tracks, but he can't because it's kind of a hill, right? Now, I'm exhausted. My legs hurt. I haven't exercised. I've been out of town. I'm tired. And, uh, and I'm just like, I'm like trying to convince myself why I don't need to stop and help this guy. Right? Like I have shoes on that have hard plastic soles. You can't even walk in them. Right? I'm on a bike. But there's no way I can just pass this guy who needs help. So, you know, do I go and lay hands in his car to heal it? Do I prophesy to him that the mechanic will fix the car? No. I park my bike, I take off my shoes, and I help the guy push his car to get it over the tracks. And this guy is like dumbfounded that somebody would actually stop to help. Why? Because that's not what our culture does. Our culture is out for itself. Just, here, I'll do this, but I need some money. Or, I don't know you, and I'm going to protect myself, so I'm not going to help you. So I stop, and I'm pushing the guy's car, and he's like, he's dumbfounded. And I'm just like, hey, man, God loves you. Pay it forward, right? Pay it forward. I want you to do something good for somebody else. So I want to just get this guy into a, a, just a lifestyle of helping other people. And so we get it over. He's like, hey, thanks. Hey, man, Jesus loves you. I'm just so happy I could help. I'm going to get going now, right? I want to live my life. I want to serve in a way that brings glory to God, right? I just want to serve in a way that brings glory to God. It's not because you're amazing you want to serve people. That's Christ in you. That's Holy Spirit moving in you. You see somebody hurt and you want to meet their need, you want to help them. Don't do it so you can feel better about yourself. Turn the attention to God. Listen, the easiest way to combat pride in your gift is point to Jesus. Because once people meet him, they're not going to be as impressed with you. That's what we have to do. We have to let folks know. If you heard somebody say something, and you, and you tell it to somebody, don't take credit for it. Give credit to the person you heard it from, right? Just do what you can to combat pride in your life. Give credit to God is the greatest one. But this is what Paul says. You think you're, excuse me, Peter says, you think, you think this is me. You, you're impressed with me, but it's, but it's Christ in me. This is what you have to tell people. This is Christ in me. And we have to step out in a way where we can introduce Christ, the source, to people. We have to step out and do something and then step out of the way so they can see it's actually Christ. Look, I see you looking at me, but I want you to see something. It's him. I, I know you think I just did something amazing. I just gave this gift. To, you said you needed this. I gave you some money because I felt like I was supposed to. And you said that is exactly what you needed to pay that bill. Thank you. However, look, what, see, no, that was Christ in me who told me that, that was actually Jesus who met your need. That was G. You don't want your reward right here. This isn't what you want. You don't want Christ to tell you something, to do something, and then you do it and then get your reward right now. That's not what you want. You want that reward waiting for you in heaven. So when they go to thank you, you step out of the way and you say, no, no, actually, that was Jesus. Now, if you did something, just say, you're welcome. You're welcome. Right? You can say, you're welcome. And you say, well, Jesus is really, you know. But if you're just doing your life and people see that you're an amazing person, you can just say you're welcome, right? Like, it, it, it's okay. You don't have to say, not me, not me, not me, because that gets weird. 
But if God moves on you in a certain way, right? It just gets weird. Weird. Right? But here's what happens. Oh, cool, I got time. So here's what happens. Peter, in stepping out of the way, he does something I want to kind of show you, and you'll see through the the rest of the New Testament as you you study it. Peter, um, in order to give the the credit to God, he, he shares the gospel with them. But he contextualizes the gospel to the people who are going to hear it. He gets the gospel message, right? He gets the gospel message, which is unchanging. And then he sees the people he's delivering it to, and he delivers the gospel message in a way that they recognize in their context. And this is all over the New Testament. It's in the Gospels, it's in the letters, it's everywhere. And I'll give you one uh, famous uh, one that you may not have actually recognized. You know, in the beginning of the book of John, the Gospel according to John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Now, you may think, no, all he was doing was he was mimicking Genesis 1 in the beginning, right? Because he used the same language. However, he wasn't writing to the same people. And so John, uh, in the day that he was living, uh, in, Greek, uh, in the Greek world, they elevated logic above all, right? And there was, um, it's Stoicism is, is a type of Greek philosophy uh, in logic where they believed that there was an ultimate truth. And this truth was called the word. This is a Greek philosophy. It has nothing to do with Judaism or anything. And they believe the logos, there was, an, there was a logos truth that we all are looking to find. In the end, if we have proven a truth, it is true. And in everything, we could examine it, we can debate it, we can argue it, and then we can discover the truth. And so John, in talking to people, in writing this letter, he says, in the beginning was the logos. And they're like, yes, yes, there was a Logos. Yes, we believe that. Beginning, in, in, the, in, the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Logos was with God. Now he's tying their belief system to God. They're attaching it to God. He's contextualizing the Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And they're like, yes, amen. And the Word was with God. Oh, really? That's interesting. And the Logos was God. This truth that you're finding is actually in God. He's contextualizing the gospel. It's it's what he's doing. And so we see that John did it, and we see that that Peter does it here. He says, you know, when when John said this preexistent word, truth, became flesh, right? As you continue in this, he came and dwelt among us. Whoa, there was a truth that we were looking for and actually became a person? Yes, his name is Jesus. He dwelt among us. This is the God. Now I'm going to tell you the story of his life. Does, does that make sense? And so Peter does the same thing here, uh, but like on a whole nother level, right? He, he, he breaks down this Christ and he begins to expand upon who he is, this Jesus, to a Jewish context in the temple, right? Are you with me? And so he, he, he designates Jesus, the Lord, five ways in this real brief passage of scripture. I want you to see this Because I want you, in your life, to begin looking at the gospel in order to contextualize it for the people you're talking to. Okay, I'll I'll break it down. Watch this. Verse 13. Verse 13, he said, he calls Jesus, not son of God here, but he calls him the servant. Now, this is because they knew that 
the servant Messiah of the Old Testament in Isaiah, I think it's like 49 to 52, right, right around there through there, like several times they talk about this, this servant that was coming, this servant Messiah. He's not only a conquering ruler, but he is a suffering servant. And then in uh, verse 14, he calls him the Holy One. Now he's talking to the Jews of the day who understood the Holy One to be God. And so now he is calling Jesus the Holy One. Then he talks about, he calls him the Righteous One, stating that since he is righteous and only God is righteous, that he equates, equals Jesus with God, and he affirmed his deity. Are you with me? He's like, he's not just a prophet. Like some of you might be thinking now he's a prophet. No, no, he is a Holy One, and he is righteous. Then he says, okay, now he's just deified him. He's just made him a God, right? He's just made him equal with God. Then he goes on in verse 15, he calls him the prince of life. Literally, if you study that, it means that he is the author of life. Now he's talking about Jesus is the source, right? So Peter is laying this out. In verse 10, he said, he stated, he says it really plainly. He says, this is the source whom you have killed. And in verse 16, he says, this guy was so amazing that even belief in his name heals the sick. Just believing in his name enables the lame to walk. See, to do this, though, you have to know the gospel. You have to know the gospel. You have to know what it takes for someone to be saved. You have to understand who Jesus Christ is, why he lived, why he died, why he was resurrected, why he ascended to heaven, why he's coming back. You have to understand these things, and you have to actually be able to articulate them. You have to understand why they're important. You have to understand that. And then, watch this, you have to know people well enough to contextualize that to their life. These drive-by gospels, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to walk with people and contextualize the gospel when we don't know them well enough. So, so what we hear is, what we hear is, no, you just need to preach the word, brother. You just need to preach the word, brother. That's funny because that's not what the apostles did. It's not what the apostles did. We know that when Jesus was resurrected, he walked with two men. He walked with two men, and the Bible says that he went through the scriptures and explained all of them about him. But you have to walk with people long enough to explain these things with them. You have to actually walk with people. We can't just say that these people are beneath us because they don't know Christ are going to hell and you need to repent. You need to repent every day. No, we need to walk with people. We need to get on the journey with people. We need to be with them long enough for them to understand where we're coming from and for us to understand where they're coming from. We have to actually befriend people who are scary, who don't quite understand this yet, who are operating from a different mindset operating from a different life perspective we have to actually honor people enough to say i may not understand why you're making the decisions you're making instead of judging their decisions it's amazing once you meet people start understanding why they do the stupid things they do it's funny when you say to someone okay and they know you love them you say okay explain to me explain to me why this sounded like a good idea just, just help me understand. Help me understand. And they start explaining it, and you're like, 
That actually makes sense. I mean, it's crazy. Don't get me wrong. But I understand how you got to this. Now I can walk with you and help you rebuild the foundations of your logic so it can actually glorify God. And you come out with a much better response. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus taught us to do. This is, this is why he taught in parables. This is why the, the, the apostles taught the way they did. They were talking to somebody specific. If you're preaching in a mainline traditional church, I would hope your sermon would be different than if you're preaching in prison. Those should be different messages. If you're talking to a, a man who's been Jewish his entire life and in his 70s and you're presenting the gospel, you probably should share it differently than a 21-year-old who's looking for satisfaction in sex and drugs. You should know the scriptures well enough to do that. Right? We should actually know what they're talking about in this book. Right? I mean, you can know him without knowing this book, but it would be far more effective if you read the book. Right? It helps. This, 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 this book, God uses it. It's amazing to me that he does, but he does. It's amazing to me, because I, I, I don't understand, but he's supernatural, I'm not. So what we see here is, <clears throat> we see that, Peter tells them that there is a supernatural life, but I'm not the source. And then he breaks down the old scriptures through contextualization to let them know that Jesus is the source of supernatural life. The third thing is he, we have to move, move from supernatural experience to supernatural life. So the man, the man had gotten healed, right? He was crippled, and now he's not crippled. That's a pretty good day to me. I'm, I'm like, that's a good day, Amen. That's a pretty good day. He woke up crippled. And then he ends the day walking and leaping and praising God. Pretty good day. Pretty good day. But it doesn't end with your experience. It doesn't end with that experience. <clears throat> it, it, it takes more than that. As Peter is preaching this message, the Bible says that the lame man was leaning on his shoulder. Literally, he'd been crippled his whole life. And so, uh, you know, when we see people, uh, and those of you who've seen this, I know you, you you know, when, when you see people get miraculously healed, um, especially if they're crippled or, or if, they, they, um, if they were mute their entire life and they speak, it's not like they get the whole language. They don't know how to talk. Now they're physically able to, but they don't know how to, right? Or you see someone who has been crippled and they um, gain the ability to walk. God heals them. Like, they don't have any muscle strength in their legs. And so they're shaky. You've seen that, right? Yeah, and if you haven't seen that, stick around. Amen? Hey. <laughs> Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Go with us to Mexico. Like, just come on. Stick around. Go with us to Boca. <clears throat> and so these people often, I, do, <clears throat> I had a really close friend of mine. Um, he had uh, prayed for a guy uh, who had been um, mute uh, or, and deaf. His whole, it was deaf his whole life. Uh, he wasn't mute. He was deaf. And they got it in their heart that they were going to... Um, that they were just tired of him being deaf, you know? And so they decided to do a prayer vigil for this guy all night. They just were going to pray until this guy can hear, right? And so they prayed for this guy for, I think it was like seven hours, just through the night. And eventually, at some point, the demon manifested in, in, into a scorpion, came out of him as a scorpion. They captured it in a jar to show people the scorpion, which is, which is pretty cool, right? 
And so they got a word of knowledge immediately after. And the word of knowledge was, you need to go to a doctor in something. I don't remember what it was. Like, go through therapy or, or something. And, uh, and he was thankful. And the next week, he was in the club. And within a month, he couldn't hear anymore. College age, never heard in his entire life. Lost it within a month. And what I have found is God's promises are conditional. His grace is free. His love is free. And we, you know, in, in our culture today, anybody gets whatever they want. It's just not true. We, 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 were, we, were, we were at a football game yesterday. And they were honoring our military heroes. They were honoring our military heroes, right? The first guy they brought up uh, had been in the, was it the army? He was in, uh, you know the movie Black Hawk Down? He was one of the people in that helicopter. And he had served there, served in Panama, invasion, did all this stuff, and just had all these letters and all these ribbons. And we're just like, wow, they're, okay, well, military hero, right? The second military hero was a girl going to college and was going to enlist in the army after college. I'm like, has somebody not looked up the word hero? Has somebody not... Has not, somebody not investigated what this, you actually have to do something. But nowadays in our culture, everybody's a hero. We're all, we're all military heroes, apparently. We all can be celebrated on a military hero day because we thought it, but we saw a movie about the army maybe one time. Or, you know, like I, I played G.I. Joe when I was young. Is that good? You know, like, I'm, 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 and then the next guy like killed 4 billion, you know, people in a war or something. I was just like, another hero, right? Hero, right? Another hero, right? I'm, I'm. And I'm like, what, what, what has happened in our culture where everybody's a hero? Not everybody's a hero. That's why we have heroes. If everybody's a hero, then nobody's a hero, right? Like, and I was, I'm like, they're like, where to stand? I'm standing for that. I'm not standing for that. This is crazy. Military hero. I, you know, I, you know, people are like, oh, that's so awesome. Just join the army. <laughs> You're not a military hero. These words are conditional. You have to actually do something to become a hero. The church today have revivalists who've never led anybody to Jesus. I'm like, you're not actually a revivalist. I don't know if you recognize that. Like you, you, they're actually conditional. These words are conditional. It wasn't anybody who thinks happy thoughts is going to heaven. It's, you know, send your thoughts and prayers. How do you send a thought? I don't know. But my prayer does something. Amen. And if somebody's hungry, your money will do more, right? Like send prayers and money. That's what we should say. Send prayers and money to those in need. Thoughts and prayers. If you really pray, you don't say that. If you're actually praying, you're not saying thoughts and prayers. I'm thinking about you. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so much better now. I guess I'm a military hero. I don't know. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to find this back. <clears throat> But listen, Peter was unashamed. Look at this, verse 13. He's in the temple. These people are going up to do their Jewish thing. He's in the temple, and he tells him, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and turn away. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. 
Acts 3.19, go ahead and put it up. It's right there. It's the, next, it's the next slide. It's the next slide. Just hit the next slide. It's right there. It's right there. I see it. See? Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Look at these conditional statements. Do this so that your sins may be wiped away. And in order for you to, and if you do that, then times of refreshing may come to the presence of the Lord. They're all conditional. It's all conditional. Are you with me? It's all conditional. Now, Peter had worked this out in Acts chapter 2 when he stood up at Pentecost. At 2.38, he says, Repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Listen, we're having a baptism next week. What a coincidence. If you've become a Christian, you got water baptized as an adult. Period. If you become a follower of Christ, you got water baptized as an adult. Why? That's what the Word tells us. And you can't repent of sins when you're three days old, when you're ten days old. It's not possible. And I dare say that's the last time you've experienced Jesus. It's probably time again. Come on. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. It's time. It's time to go public with your faith. Maybe at the end of service, you just agreed with a prayer and you said, yes, I am now a Christ follower. I'm going to be following him. Your first public act of obedience is you go public with your faith and you get water baptized. This is what you do. This is how it works. I want to walk this thing out. Get water baptized. I'm not ready. Well, let us know when you're ready so then you can get the Holy Ghost and you can be returned again and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you don't want times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord, you want to fight this thing on your own, let us know how that works for you, right? But if you actually want Jesus Christ to work in your life and you want the miracles of the Bible to happen in your life, you may actually have to do what they said to do. Amen? And this, my friends, this is the power that the world needs. This is the power the world needs. You can do all, we can do our, our, our acts of service. We can love on people. We can just serve them well. We can even heal their bodies. We can do all kinds of amazing things. But the power the world actually needs is all of these signs to point to Jesus and people to receive him, repent of their sins, that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. Amen? This is where our world needs. This is why we have too many anti-anxiety medications going on in this world. We need to figure out in the midst of this chaotic world how to receive times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. How to dial back all the chaos of this world and experience times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. How to repent from our own agenda, our own, what we decided is most important, and actually turn to what God said was most important. Times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. And the last thing I want to show you here, before you come on up, that Jesus will give you supernatural life. Jesus, if I could back there, Jesus will give you, Jen, supernatural life. Right there. Bam. Jesus will give you supernatural life. Listen, this is what Peter's telling them. This is what he's telling them. Get blessed. Get blessed. This is what he's telling them. Get blessed. Receive the promise that right now, deep down inside, God has something for you and your heart is longing for it. And you can do all your religious stuff looking for it. You can do all your worldly stuff looking for it. You can do all your rebellious stuff looking for it. You can blame why you're not getting on everybody else as if someone else is more powerful than God. 
You can have this false idol in your life if you like. That because of how you were born or who you were raised with or who you're married to or the family you come from or where you work, all these excuses on why life is not turning out the way you thought it would look. Or you can believe that Jesus Christ is more powerful than all those things. Accept responsibility for your life and say, it is up to me to walk in the promises of God. This is what Peter is telling him. It's up to me to walk in the promises of God. Yeah. Look, Acts 3, Acts 3, 26, he says, For you first, God has raised his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. <clears throat> now, Peter, he said to them, This is the Messiah that you killed. This is the, this, the, that you offered up to be killed. Now, surely, some of those people were there at the trial of Jesus. But I think we can equally say not all of them were. Not all of them were there and yelled crucify. Not all of them were there and said, let's, let's offer this guy up as a sacrifice. What's he saying? Your sins put him there. He died for the sins of the world. And if you're on the world, it was your sins he died for. It was your sins that made him go to the cross. So you have to recognize it was my sin that put him on the cross. Mine. Mine. I caused the death of Christ. But he did it for me. And if you don't recognize this, then you're somehow going to be living in some cosmic escapism. That Jesus came to rescue you from all the bad people who did bad things to you. And yes, he might have done that, but it was your sin who put him on the cross. You personally. Me personally. But Peter says this very interestingly. He says, here's the blessing that he has for you. He's going to turn you from your wicked ways. At first I might get offended on that one, right? He's going to turn you from your wicked ways until you recognize deep down inside you want to turn from your wicked ways. You want to turn from your mental bondage. You want to turn from your physical bondage. You want to turn from your soulish bondage. The parts of your life that do not glorify God, deep down inside, you don't want them. And Jesus came to turn you from them. Hallelujah. Because you couldn't turn from them on your own. If you could, you would have already. He has come to turn you from those. You got bondage? He'll turn you from them. Stand with me. John 10.10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Come on, put yourself in this verse. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that you may have, that I may have life. Say it with me. That I may have life and have it abundantly. Hallelujah. 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 Let's pray. Father, we just love you this morning. We thank you. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We thank you for this, Jesus. And we receive it today. We receive the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins today. 
We know we did things that were wrong. We know that we did things wrong. We know that our sin put him on the cross. We say today, Lord, forgive us for our sin. We receive that sacrifice as our sacrifice. Thank you that our sin is buried in that tomb. And we come back as new creations. Alive. The complete good works that were ordained before the foundation of time for us to do. Listen, listen friend. You had a hard week? Jesus is here to turn you. Jesus is here to give you abundant life. Come on, you've been under something for too long? Jesus is here to give you abundant life. Jesus has come to give you abundant life. So Father, I bless your people today. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work on the inside of them, giving them creative ideas to share the gospel and to point people to you. And that they would bring them to where you are. They would bring them to the house of God. They would bring them into your presence. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Give a hand clap to the Lord if you would.